HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, People of Color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curd. Today, I'm your host, Kara Warren, and on the show, I have Caitlin O'Neill, head of retail and food service at the iconic organic producer, Cowgirl Creamery. Uh, She's been a cheese educator and retail specialist with over 10 years of experience in the industry, and she focuses in on building counter-wide and company-wide culture around education, leadership, and authenticity. Um, I am super excited. She's been around 28 states and more. She is one of the best people in cheese culture world that I can think of. Um, Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and to share some of my love of debt cheese life for your audience. Oh, man. So that cheese life. I, I want to talk about that. You know, we'll talk about that later in the show because I you are I, I love that you add uh, personality to everything you work with. Um, so I guess what I'd like to do is start with a, a quick bio of yourself. Just give me like a, a rundown of how you got into cheese and uh, then we'll move on from there. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, well, um, you know, I have been a dairy dabbler essentially since I could walk. Um, One of the stories that my parents have always loved to tell of me is how I would uh, cruise the refrigerator, open up the container of butter, grab a little scoop on my finger for myself and just keep running. (laughs) And this was a habit, you know, that, you know, I started as a toddler, but then quickly evolved to uh, the opportunity to have cheese as my treat for being good when we would go to the grocery store. So my uh, gateway cheese, as you know, as Liz Thorpe might call it, is Havarti or Havarti with dill. And that was my special treat that I could enjoy. Uh, so that's, you know, one of those points of nostalgia for me that has always, uh, you know, reminded me of home and comfort and my parents. So I'm a lover of people and a lover of food and a big old nerd. So after dabbling in the world of music and music management, um, I was searching for a career that could provide me a deeper meaning. Um, and I stumbled upon the world of cheese, in particular, uh, a small cheese shop in Red Bank, New Jersey called The Cheese Cave. Um, and this was just about 10 years ago. Uh, so at that point I was just trying to figure out maybe where I could work in food and have an inspired career. 
And I was lucky there to immediately be hit with the understanding that cheese is some is a passion driven commodity that relies heavily on education and conveying experience experience and conveying emotion and intent and context through every bit of what you do. Uh, so it's a great place for somebody who loves people and loves teaching uh, to find a root and find a home. And it turns out too that the world of cheese has a culture that I particularly enjoy. Um, so as a result of the cheese culture and immersing in that and things like CMI and um, you know other education activities that I could find for myself, I pretty quickly grew in my career and moved from there to uh, an amazing specialty retailer in New Jersey called Sickles Market. Um, I would liken that experience to shopping the Sophie Awards, uh, a really well curated selection of uh, grocery style products that included also a wonderful cheese selection and a place for me to really uh, evolve my love of food, my love of caring, uh, be well educated by uh, Bob Sickles and you know the many people who worked there on his team, uh, and to also start practicing education. And learning how to find the point of access for your customer through not only storytelling, but for the right context for that person. Um, and whether you have, you know, just a couple moments at the counter or a full hour and a half long class to uh, really get to know people intimately, you have an opportunity with every interaction in cheese to really make great impact. So from there, I uh, was lucky to work for Murray's Kroger for some of the really formative years of that program. Uh, so Murray's Kroger has uh, now probably, I would guess, close to 500 stores in our cheese shops and cheese kiosks in stores all around the country. And uh in the five years that I was there, we grew from about 150 to over 400. Uh, and my role there was initially helping helping to open stores, but throughout that process discovered that my uh, best point of access in sharing what I know and love about cheese is through curriculum and through training others. So I really got to contribute heavily there to the training of that national team who went out on the road and uh, fostered cheese shops and their leaders around the country, got to write a lot of curriculum and revise a lot of the foundational curriculum set forth by that program. Um, and also had the opportunity at the same time to practice different styles of teaching and merchandising and leadership training um, while also teaching the general public uh, and getting some chances to uh, bump in and around breweries and wineries and various other producer partners where I could uh, learn something new and some new language or new technique from people who were maybe talking about fermentation in a slightly different way. Uh, so I was, uh, in addition there too, I, I also helped to uh, further establish and build their CCP training program and bring Quite a few people through that process uh, and create access for people through their education uh, and by taking them to that conference to meet others in the industry, learn the art of networking that so importantly helps our careers. Um, and then that led me to where I am now, which is at Cowgirl Creamery. Uh, so I have moved a couple times in the name of cheeses, uh, I lived in Portland, Oregon while I was working for Murray's Cheese and then in New York and around the tri-state area for Murray's. Uh, but I've moved back to the West Coast now and I live uh, just north of San Francisco near our, near our uh, Tamales Bay Foods offices just outside of Petaluma, California. And I am the head of retail and food service for both of our retail locations. Uh, one of them is in the Ferry Building Terminal. Uh, which is in a rather touristy area of San Francisco that also has, I would say, the country's best farmer's market surrounding it on Saturdays and then a few other days of the week. And then we also have another location that is on its way to the Point Reyes National Seashore in Point Reyes Station. And that is the birthplace of our iconic 
wash, dry, and cheese Red Hawk. So you can walk in there, watch our cheese being made and aged, taste it along the way, uh, take some home or take it on a picnic to the shore, uh, and then ideally reconnect with it, whether it's in another local grocer or for the folks who are traveling with us, uh, reconnect with it in places like your local grocer up to and including um, now places like Kroger. Oh my goodness. You are a wonder woman. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't even know what your mileage looks like, but I'm sure it's amazing. Um, <laughs> um, I can only I, hope that my uh, carbon footprint is now offset by all the good works in organics and sustainability on behalf of Cowgirl Creamery. <laughs> oh my God. So you, you sound like a West Coast person now, which it means you care about the environment. Um, and I love that you you had so much history on the East Coast was making that switch over to the West um, hard for you was was there some culture shock in that? You know, I think what was really interesting for me to see, you know, in both times that I have lived on the West Coast is how unique the and you know, you actually referenced this right here too in your intro to say that, you know, I sound like a West Coaster now. Uh, but that's something that really is inherent in true and in the culture here of m- most all people, or at least most all people that uh, folks listening to this podcast might encounter, which is a general greater awareness about the environment and how it impacts us, uh, sustainability and how it impacts us, uh, potentially even a real understanding of the word organic and what it means and that it's not a gimmick. Uh, and what that results in for us in the world of cheese is a different approach to selling because you don't have to start by reciting that narrative. Instead, you can start with the more granular details about the specifics of each operation you might be working with and the value that can build in your West Coast customer, which is pretty different than your East Coast customer, though both are just as excited uh, about cheese, which is wonderful. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and do you think since you've started at Calgary, have you learned a lot more about cheese? Do you feel like you've been educated more about cheese since you got there? Oh, yeah. Well, I think what's so wonderful about being at Cowgirl in particular is that connection to Tamales Bay Foods. So for those who don't know, Smallest Bay Foods is our wholesale arm of the business where we are curating a collection of cheeses and offering them to wineries and restaurants and other cheese retailers. Uh, So I've been really lucky to interact with a product set that just wasn't available on the East Coast or wasn't available in the Murray's Kroger stream just due to lack of... uh, production scalability. So I've been really excited to taste a lot of new cheeses, to taste a lot of new flavors within cheese, uh, and to better understand the practices of some of our uh, both smaller and larger uh, California neighbors in cheese. That's pretty cool. And so are you are you responsible then for doing the buying now for Cowgirl Creamery? Like, do you hand, like, is it for the wholesale and the retail side that you, uh, like for Tamales, are you a buyer for them or are you more managing the the service and the day-to-day operations? More of the latter. So we actually have a, a system that it actually functions kind of like Murray's in this way too, where uh, because we have a warehousing element and capability, we can essentially buy from ourselves and buy from our own warehousing Um which enables me to have access to a wide diversity of products that would probably be pretty difficult to DSD to my store, you know, to have them ship direct and FedEx direct, uh, which allows us to have a really wonderful selection of local cheeses. But uh, I am lucky to be able to curate the experience around our Calgary cheeses that is customer facing Um in person in both of those locations, whether it's within the food that we prepare or the cheeses that we uh, cut and wrap for folks to take and try wherever they're headed beyond our location. 
And um, I guess then in regards to the COVID situation, how has that affected you and, and the business strategy there at Cowgirl Creamery? Well, you know, I think that the best possible thing that we all have learned from COVID, and this is probably, I would say, universal experience in, uh, in all aspects of business, is the ability to pivot that chance to take a look at your operational strategy and have to be have to ask yourself and your team in the moment what serves us right now what is still core to our identity what do our customers look for from us as a provider in the community and then how can we do best to find our customer where they're at So for us at Cowgirl, that has meant a significant departure from, you know, the way we were, uh, no no pun intended, organically built um, in that, you know, we we have been a place where people come to seek cheese experience in person. And so when you take that element away by virtue of safety and necessity in our uh, new and evolving world, it has meant that we've had to find a new place in that digital, excuse me, in that digital space. And, uh, you know, for us, that has meant uh, both, you know, a significant increase in our, our mail order capacity and capabilities and curations there by that wonderful team we have. Um, but then for us at retail has meant uh, finding different ways to package items to suit the customer, how to create pairings by way of kitting, uh, by way of putting putting different items together that we would normally talk through in person or offer a sample around. Uh, and then finding too, for our, our customers who normally would be taking our food and our cheese off to other tourist destinations, what their intent for joining us is if, they have less access to places like that. So we've been really lucky that we have a very loyal customer base who is excited to come and taste our food, even if their final destination is back home, Um, which has been really fantastic for us because it's enabled our team to stay really safe and to be able to practice good techniques uh, that will serve us even beyond COVID in terms of sanitation and safety and thoughtful management of the space around us. And um, so you talked about kidding. What is an example of a kidding? Like, um, like a, is it a honey and a jam that you put with a cheese? Is that like what you mean by that? Or is it, am I off base on yeah. that? So it, it's, it's how, how do you convey the art of cheesemongering without that person in front of you? So our guy or our primary function as cheesemongers is, to get the cheese to the customer in the way that the maker intended it, you know, maintaining the integrity of flavor and then hopefully finding some ways to highlight what makes that product unique and what other flavors work great with it. So when we can't hand that sample across the counter, we can build item sets that do that for us and build descriptions around those that help that customer understand that experience in a similar way. Um, ah, I think it certainly really doesn't take cool. place of, of sampling, but it is right now, I think the best way to do that virtually and to reduce the customer's uh, fatigue of finding information online by doing some of that same work for them, just like we do by offering pairings instead of having them read a card in front of them uh, whenever possible. Uh, we're just do, find, figuring out different venues for how to do that virtually. It's a very smart uh, plan, very smart pivot, may I say, the word of the moment, pivot. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will pivot now to how do you, are, I'm wondering, do you have cheesemongers? Because if you're dealing with the public, one thing I've I've sort of, sort of heard from people and cheesemongers in particular is there's a stress level to uh, serving people right now. And I was wondering if you've had to counsel uh, cheesemongers. And, and I was wondering if you could speak to it for our listeners. Like, what are you saying to the day-to-day cheesemonger to keep their mind at peace and, uh, deal with the current situation? 
<laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you use the word counsel because we didn't even talk about this, uh, you know, before our show. And um, one of the things I've been lucky to do is, uh, you know, I have my my undergrad degrees in psychology. And, you know, though it, that was <laughs> many ages ago, what I think I've been lucky to do in this circumstance is bring just a little bit of that thoughtful care and concern around my mongers basic needs and how to best address those in this time. And even if that just means naming and acknowledging how we're feeling, even if it's hard and difficult and scared and frustrated and uh, overwhelmed. Uh, one of the things that we did uh, in particular at the Point Reyes location the first couple of weeks we were open, we, you know, we always have a morning huddle where we get our team together and we talk about the goals of the day, both financial and operational. And we would go outside on the lawn and we normally do stretches to help ourselves also, you know, be ready for service and all that sort of thing. Um, but we also actually, we did some emotional stretches while we were out there too. And uh, we gave some time for the team to be honest with each other about different topics they were feeling. So one day it was like, what, what are you scared about? What, what scares you about the current state we're in? And everybody just went around and spoke a small piece about how they felt and, and how that might, how they might uh, accommodate that today at work. Um, other days we talked about what was still bringing them to work, what made them excited to come to work, even in a scary time, even in a time when we couldn't see our customers and we're only seeing each other. Um, but getting the chance to name that in front of each other helped everyone to see that each of us really was in this, I will namely say, struggle together and also helped everyone to be aware of what those trigger points were and how to step around them and how to accommodate them best to first serve ourselves so that we could best serve our community. Um, but really, I think the name of the game in managing anyone at this point is safety, whether that's creating a safe space emotionally for your team, um, but more literally also creating a very safe physical space, creating that uh, maintained six foot social distancing, creating separate workspaces and break spaces. Um, we have a unique situation in our Point Race location because we share both a creamery and a retail space in one building and private offices upstairs. So we had to be really careful and continue to be really careful about keeping those teams isolated from each other and practicing uh, really strong measures every minute of every day to do what we've been able to do, which is sustain our operation uh, ever since COVID started. Okay. And is there... Um... A particular moment um, where you can recall like a story or a situation um, that may be a generalized situation that um, that you could recall that felt very emotional, but you helped someone overcome? You know, I think that each of my team members has sort of brought a different concern uh, you know, unique to COVID. But I think I've been really lucky to provide my best help in this scenario by teaching strong leadership, even when that means admitting you don't know something, <laughs> you know? So if, uh, you know, I, I won't necessarily call out any of the uh, unique scenarios for my team members, but I will say that uh, that transparency and honesty and authenticity and leadership and being able to say myself, I don't know the answer to this question. This is this is new waters. These are new territories that we're all navigating together. But help me understand where you're coming from and let's work through this together. And uh, providing space for people to communicate, whether that has been through greater access to each other on our Slack channel that we've started or just taking more meetings in person uh, to let people have that moment to talk and be heard, uh, I think has been the, the greatest thing that we have all been able to practice together, regardless of 
what unique scenario of the many that we've dealt with uh, has brought that to light. Right on, right on, Caitlin. Okay, we're going to take a, a quick break because I think we all need to pause and think about what you just said because it's very true. Um, all right, listeners, we'll be back in just a moment. Caitlin O'Neill is on with us on Cutting the Curd, Heritage Radio Network, and we'll be back in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is Kara Warren on the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to Cutting the Curd. And I have on this episode, Caitlin O'Neill of Cowgirl Creamery. Uh, we were just reviewing all of the things dealing with COVID as a cheesemonger, her background, and and all her traveling abroad, well, not abroad, but domestically, I should say. Um, but now I'd like to skip into another subject, which is last month was June, and there was a lot happening in June. We had the Juneteenth, we had Black Lives Matter, we also had, um, you know, it was Pride, which I this year kind of got skipped a tiny bit because there's a lot of real hard stuff going on. But I I do want to sort of relate this with Caitlin that, uh, Caitlin, you currently preside over the LGBTQ Facebook group. You're one of the admins on there. And um, I wanted to see with you how that has helped the cheese industry, the cheese community, and sort of hear from you what the strength is to having this kind of group on Facebook. Well, I will say certainly as someone who, uh, you know, is at this point visibly queer, you know, I have a, a short styled haircut and uh, grown out sideburns that I, uh, that you know, sort of uh, are more masculine in appearance. And so having traveled the country, uh, not only as an ambassador of cheese and cheese culture, but unintentionally also as an ambassador of of gay culture, of lesbian culture, of uh, of what queerness looks like functionally in the workplace. Um, so having a group like LGBTQ, which good job Nick Bain on that name, mm-hmm. <laughs> founding uh, that community for us, you know, it, it ties back to what I said earlier about having safe spaces and for having a place wherever it is, even if it's online, to practice authenticity. And also I would say in the case of this group to see other leaders who you can reach out to or even just know are there in solidarity with you, understanding what it's like to navigate our community in your type or style of shoes. Or Birkenstocks, as the case may be. <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, but, you know, I I would say in particular, one of the important uh, assets to having a group, a community that is more formal and official, even though it's a secret group on Facebook and you have to know one of us to find us, just find us. You'll, <laughs> if you can friend one of the members and, and get easy access um, but having having that space and collective voice also allows you to pool that voice. So we've been lucky as a group and a couple uh, of the fellow moderators, myself and Nick Bain, um, along with a few other members of the community, uh, including Eris Shack and Lilith Spencer, had already been selected for ACS in its... Um, in-person incarnation for both a uh, workshop and a networking session around LGBTQ issues in the cheese workplace. 
So as ACS continues to evolve, we've been working on an online format for what that will look like. And you should see from what seems right now to be early to mid-August, a presentation by that uh, aforementioned group that will highlight some of our experiences and stories within that community as we've existed, uh, known or unknown in the world of cheese. So we've asked members of the LGBTQ group on Facebook to share some testimonials with us, which we'll be sharing with the greater cheese community, um, both positive and negative, uh, that share what we go through on a day-to-day basis, that help illuminate and um, give more space and awareness to all of our collective voices. Not that we speak for the, the LGBTQ community ourselves, but we are a few people who can use our presence to create a stronger voice. And so that's what we are very lucky to have, uh, you know, have had seen in us by ACS. Uh, and it's an exciting time too, because as far as we know, this is the first specifically LGBTQ themed uh, sanctioned event by ACS. Oh, really? I, did, I didn't realize that. I should have realized that, but it makes a lot of sense. And so... I guess you've been so lucky, or I shouldn't even say lucky, you've had the power to realize, um, to intersect all these worlds, like the, the the lesbian LGBTQ, which is impossible to say when you're saying a lot of letters at once, it's a lot of fun, uh, to, to talk about Cowgirl Creamery, which is also women-oriented and gay-friendly. I, I have never worked for a company that is, uh, well... I shouldn't say, uh, to this level, I should say, women-owned and gay-friendly. Does that feel different? Is that, um, you know, do you, do you feel like there's a difference between other companies that you've ran, been in, or sh- I should say, you know? Is there a difference? Yeah, you know, working for a legacy lesbian brand is an honor, And in particular, it's an honor to represent that strong uh, sense of knowing oneself and one's mission, regardless of the social consequence, Um, and uh, in power to, to those that you represent and support by, by that strong action. Uh, you know, so I'm I'm very lucky to get to continue to represent that and forge that even further ahead. Um, but there are also people who act, I wouldn't say behind the scenes, but act within the scenes too to help foster our community as well. And you know, I, I think in particular about our managing director now at Calgo Creamery, Amanda Parker, who I also worked for at Marie's Cheese. And having a fellow ally in the community who could provide a strong representation of, uh, of being oneself in the workplace and, and normalizing any relationship that you're in as uh, inconsequential to the good work that you do uh, is, is something I can't, I can't understate the importance of. Uh, so I, I was lucky, you know, at Murray's as well to have a couple of other really strong folks within the community who helped illuminate my light and path. You know, I think about my, my friend Colin Ming, who, um, unfortunately passed away last year. Uh, but he was a, a colleague of mine who worked for Murray's in California, uh, in the LA area. And he was, he'd been married to his husband a number of years when he was hired by Murray's, uh, you know, a couple of years into my tenure, but he and I traveling on the road together really had some of some formative moments, whether it was, you know, posing in front of the, the Harvey Milk Plaza statue in Long Beach together uh, to sharing stories of, of being noticeably queer on the road and, knowing that there was somebody there that you could reach out to. So 
um, you know, actually even tying this back to the LGBTQ group, I think the importance of, of, of these communities is uh, the visible accessibility that it provides in support um, to people who knowingly reach out and, and see that and respect that. But I would say just as much to the invisible people who see that normalization um, of, of people being honest and free with who they are um, to allow them to just do good work in the fields that they work in. It's, uh, it sounds like you have a sense of freedom, which, uh, you know, not everyone has the fortunate, um, I don't know, I, it's hard, it's hard nowadays, I think there's a lot going on in the world. But um, with you, I am so happy for you that you have all these, all of this going on right now. Um, the powers have aligned for you. So it's perfect. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I really dig it. It's, I'm so happy for you. Um, I guess uh, I want to go to something a little bit more uh, upbeat uh, because, you know, that that's just powerful and wellness. And I love that. But I also want to tie us back to cheese now because that's what the program is about. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I wanted to throw at you uh, a curveball of what do you see for see for the holidays happening? What do you think is going to happen at the end of this year? Um, you know, we're not having the big dinner parties that, you know, normally happen. So what do you think might trend this year or what, what it's a strategy that cowgirl or you have cooked up for the, the Q3, Q4 time? Well, I think it's about knowing that you have to have multiple plans ready to activate at all times. And that's certainly something that we're continuing to learn, you know, every minute of every day as we go through this, but in particular for the holidays, as we have these moments where people are going together. We need to consider how our audience will react to being in small or large groups and how we can curate good cheese experiences around them regardless. So, you know, I think in terms of overall trends, we're going to see a lot more foray into pre-pack uh, you know, regardless of who the retailer is and what their ethos is on, you know, cut to order versus cut and wrap versus cryo at the producer. I think we're going to see a, a grander shift towards food that is perceived to be safer or less handled by the consumer. Uh, I think that will also mean, um, probably a, a change in how we serve cheese. Um, we have seen an amazing explosion in the cheese board. And, you know, I, th- I, I say with that with so much praise towards people like Lilith Spencer in particular, who really have, um, you know, revolutionized what cheese artistic design can look like. Um, what those Boards now force, though, is congregation and gathering around a single location. So I think whether we start to curate those in smaller portions or individualized portions, or we seek to have that experience delivered direct to the customer and delivered then virtually in the form of a class, you know, I think that we will have to continue to diversify the ways in which we think about talking to our customer, whether that is through social media, whether that is through mail order or the chance to shop in person in a very controlled space. Um, But I don't foresee us going back to the sampling model anytime soon, which means that we need to continue to teach our mongers economy of words and help them deploy those words by teaching the language of cheese in all those different modalities that I mentioned. Um, But I think the only way that we will uh, continue to see the art of mongering thrive is if we shift and find the people where they're at, which means maybe uh, going a little bit less in depth to the 
very floral storytelling and that captivating time that we might use our stage to have, you know, five or 10 minutes with a customer and instead think about uniquely packaging and curating experiential bites and finding very adaptable ways to talk through that with your customer if they can't taste it. So for me, that means creating bites that, um, sound or taste like an in and out burger, <laughs> you know, ways that like you can connect with that customer who would otherwise just keep scrolling through like, ah, it's just cheese. I don't know what this even means. What even is a red hawk? Um, but if you make a package that's called the burger bite and it's something like a red hawk and Sonoma brinery pickles and a uh, seeded flatbread from rustic bakery and you eat all those together at the same time and turns out they actually taste just like an in and out um, animals or double double animal style which uh, translated to east coast folks that'd be like the the dopest thing you could order on the shake shack menu uh, <laughs> but nice. uh, finding ways to connect with your customer and deliver those pitches that we would in person um, whether that is in a kit or the wording you use around that two-minute experience they have with you while they're behind a mask. And so is that your new favorite pairing, by the way? Because that sounded amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love creating pairings that reference back to other foods. Um, we often forget that cheese is a foreign language to pretty much everyone we encounter. And, you know, I think that um, uh, no offense to the wine world here, but many of us walk into wine shops and we are, uh, and I say this as somebody who is a haze bro and maybe not, hasn't forayed into the wine world quite as much, but, you know, you walk into, oftentimes you walk into a wine shop and you either pick up a bottle or you're encountered by a person. And, you know, the first thing you hear about the wine is like, Ah, oh, notes of tobacco and hints of leather on a fruited stone fruit base cast in bourbon and enrobed in vanilla. And, you know, for those of us who speak that language are like, yo, that sounds dope. Please pour me two glasses of that. Um, <laughs> but for the day-to-day the, the -day person who isn't used to thinking about food experience broken down by streams of flavor, we have a better chance of of creating access for that person by comparing cheese and by comparing pairings to foods they already know. So if you can make a bite that tastes like a cheeseburger, then you win. Because even if you, even if that person will only taste your bite to prove you wrong, if your flavor theory is correct, you always win. And you promise an experience and you deliver that experience. So, you know, another good example with Mount Tam would be like a cinnamon roll style bite. And this was a way that, you know, when I was training mongers at Murray's, we would use similar tactics because you would have a person who would walk up with a Starbucks coffee in their hand and be like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't eat cheese right now. I'm drinking coffee. But if you hand them a bite of cheese that tastes like a cinnamon roll, they can't say no. The cinnamon rolls and coffee are dope together. So when you can create methods and logical reasoning behind the pairings that you offer, and then at the same time, connect that to an experience a person has already had, you win those nostalgia points, you win that, um, that customer psychology element that makes them buy what they try. And you can do the same thing with words online if you don't have the chance to offer a sample like we do in our new in our new COVID world. Yeah, you're 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 one of the great connectors, the great translators of cheese to any person. Um, I think that is really your true specialty. Um, that's amazing what you just said. I I think I wish uh, I hope the art of cheesemongering can still stay strong through all this because just think about how we all came up through these systems telling these fabulous stories. And there is still a love of cheese, but now we have to do it virtually or, like you said, through the kits. And, uh, you know, I, I think you you're, you have a great strategy there. I, I see great success for Cowgirl, as usual. Um, yeah, 
you keep going. <laughs> um, uh, so um, one of the segments that I, I have in the show that I like to keep up is what's in your fridge? Um, do you have any cheese in your fridge that's not cowgirl creamery or is it just filled with cowgirl creamery now? Well, it's definitely always filled with cowgirl creamery for sure, whether it's um, pieces that I've pulled from the retail stores just to taste between batches to make sure that we're selling cheeses at peak. Um, In particular, right now during this season, there is always a Pierce Point in my fridge. Um, That is our summer seasonal Bloomy Rhine style cheese that is coated with Thai basil and calendula and a couple other flora and fauna from our California coast. Um, but that one is just like a, an herbal butter bomb. And so for like anything on the grill right now, that's my go-to to melt over it or eat alongside of it. Um, but when I'm not eating that, I just cannot get enough of, of Point Ray's Toga Roshi or sorry, Toma Roshi. Toma Roshi is their, uh, the Point Ray's Toma that has togoroshi seasoning incorporated into it. Um, so, you know, talking about creating points of accessibility, the way I always describe that cheese is a Japanese-inspired pepper jack because it has some of those same flavors. You get like a little hint of fire, you get some earthiness, uh, and then you still get that like resounding buttery uh bouncy, springy bite from their Toma. Um, so I've been super into that cheese lately. Um, I love Cesar's string cheese and the Oaxacan style string cheese and um, pretty much always have some of that in my fridge as well. Um, trying to, I'm trying to mentally scan my cheese drawer and think of any other you know greatest hits I'm forgetting. Uh, I'm lucky too that Cowgirl Creamery is a Emmy company, so we always have a uh, a fine stock of things from Cyprus as well. So uh, you know, I have one of the remix cheeses in there right now, um, and some, uh, of course, tried and true and always delicious Humboldt Fog. Um, but that, those are really my mainstays. Beyond cheese, though, I have been obsessed um, basically ever since I moved to Portland, Oregon with Olympia Provisions um, Salumi. So I have a summer sausage in there right now and some queso craner that has been making its way onto my grill maybe more often than it should. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, I'm jealous of your lifestyle, man. I'll tell you, that sounds like... she's life. The debt. Okay, so debt cheese life. Debt cheese life. Where the heck did you get debt cheese life from? How does that start? Like, and describe it to the listeners because it is your hashtag, and I think you've trademarked it too. Debt cheese life. D A T cheese life. Explain, please. Well, so you know, I think debt cheese life is truly a lifestyle choice for those of us who are in cheese to win cheese. Um, cheese has become a part of who we are. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, work is your identity and that we aren't all people outside of what we do. Um, but cheese is such a unique and captivating community that um, everybody wants to know about it. Uh, you know, I would think probably every single person or most people who are listening to this show have had the same experience where someone says, you work in cheese? That What? That's a thing you could do? What? huh? Hold on. Tell me everything about yourself. <laughs> and like, and so I think that cheese life for me as a, as I would maybe call myself an ambassador of cheese culture. Um, and for anybody else, you know, who's met me, who uses that hashtag and everybody who we bump into as a result of cheese, you know, cheese is a passion project. It's not something I think that any of us got into to get rich. It's something that many of us didn't even get into intentionally, but it is captivating AF. It is so interesting, so unique that people want to know about it. Um, and that cheese life is a great hashtag to help people find those, the passion driven mongers and people in cheese who want to show that off. Um, you know, so that's something that I, I maybe haven't trademarked yet, but I have definitely trademarked, uh, my signature face that usually accompanies that, which is just an open mouth 
smile, um, almost looks scary. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of my main goals when I go out to any cheese event is to find all of my favorite people in cheese, my mentors, my friends, and and get them to take a Kate face selfie with me. Um, you know, I think about people like Andy Hatch, who is a very reserved and polite and kind and gentle human. Um, but to see him rough it up with the Kate face is maybe one of the most hilarious things I've seen because he also is someone who is so full of passion um, and just expresses it in a different way. But that cheese life, whether you hashtag it or you are still listening to the many minutes of this conversation, um, is, is passion and dedication and authenticity to oneself and one's practice. Awesome. I, I love it. Yeah. The Kate faith, the Dutchies life. It's like everything everyone knows about you. Well, I think I think I'm a big fan. So I I think everyone knows about this already, but maybe now they will. Um, (laughs) So, uh, Caitlin, I just want to say thank you so, so much for coming on the show today. Um, It's a privilege and an honor to have you on here talking so sincerely about uh, the cheese industry and cheesemongering and all the connections that are still being made, even though they're a little bit different now. Um, I want to thank you for talking about that. This has been great. Thank you so much. Well, you know, I have to say, likewise to you, uh, it has been really awesome. Uh, You know, you and I spent quite a bit of time the last time I was on the East Coast together this past summer and uh, marinated together about what we wanted to see for ourselves in the world of cheese. And one of the things that you talked about was finding your voice and finding a place to to express your passion and your ability to connect people too. So um, ditto friend, cause you're here too. Um, so I think, you know, uh, this whole podcast is a, is an expression of the awesomeness of networking and dedication to craft and the friendships and working relationships that result along the way. Cheers, cheers to that, man. Uh, uh, right on. All right. Well, if everyone's not crying their eyes out already, I just want to say thank you very much. You can find Caitlin at Hey Cat on Instagram, H E Y Cat, C A I T. Um, it's can, hey, Kate. <laughs> hey, Kate. Just so you know, uh, I like but to spell everything out for you. Because there's lots of cat pictures Kate. there. <laughs> oh, that's true, too. You're right. I'm sorry. I, you know, silly me. Um, and then, you know, you're listening to at Cutting the Curd, and I'm at Kara Warren at Heritage Radio Network. All right. Thanks, everyone, and have a good one. Stay strong. Stay safe. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.